Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 48, page 561. There we find a summary of God's word about the Lord's Prayer, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, as follows. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil. Every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 46, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. God is our strength, our shield and tower. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, as you know, Canada is known as the dominion of Canada, not as a kingdom. However, essentially, there is no difference between the two. It's also clear from, one, from Psalm 145, verse 13, which says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. These words are synonyms, so they're used interchangeably. In deference to the United States, the Founding Fathers in 1867 preferred the term dominion. Because Canada is a kingdom, it is ruled by a king or a queen. Right now it is Queen Elizabeth II. Even though she lives in England, she is nevertheless the head of our government. She abdicates that responsibility of governing to others. She does that through various representatives, such as the governors in general, and also through members of her family. The queen and her representatives are visible. Among most people, there is a great love for the queen and her house. They want to maintain that age-old tradition, that connection with the crown of England. The monarchy is considered something worthy to fight for. It represents freedom and strength and prosperity. When we had a visit from Prince William and his wife, Kate Middleton, a few years ago, most people were quite enamored by them. Because of their visit, the monarchy received somewhat of a boost in our midst. And you would think that as we speak about the kingdom of God, that then there would also be the same kind of love and zeal. Sadly, as you know, that is not the case. Many people do not even think about the kingdom of God. They don't even know what it is. When we speak about the dominion of Canada, then we do know 
what we are talking about. Then we know where the boundaries are and who the government is. We know what the Kingdom of Canada represents in the world. We know many things about it. But when we speak about the Kingdom of God, then there's a lot of ignorance. Why would that be? Well, in the first place, of course, because that Kingdom is invisible. God dwells in heaven. We are on earth. The Lord God, of course, has his representatives here on earth, such as ministers and elders, but they're all over the world and represent someone who cannot be directly seen or heard. And so we also have problems with the boundaries of God's kingdom. Where exactly is God's kingdom located? And who are the citizens of God's kingdom? From the perfect prayer that the Lord Jesus teaches us, it is clear that the concept of God's kingdom is very important. For he mentions it many times, and he mentions it twice in his very short prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus also mentions his kingdom throughout his ministry. We read some about that. Many of his parables are about the kingdom of God. Time and again, Jesus draws our attention to this. And so in the Lord's Prayer, he also wants us to pray the second petition. Your kingdom come. In other words, he wants us to pray about the furtherance of his kingdom. He wants us to pray for the growth of his kingdom. He wants that kingdom to grow in this world and in our hearts so that we can see it and so that we can experience it, so that we can learn all about it and so that we can also be excited about it and so that we can promote it. That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. It's about the growth of God's kingdom. And we will see two things. We will see that God's kingdom comes in the first place from small to great and the second place from great to perfect. The Jews expected a very quick establishment of a powerful kingdom. They were looking for some kind of savior who would deliver them from the hands of the Romans and who would establish the nation Israel as the most important one in the whole world. However, Jesus teaches that his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is not a kingdom with physical powers, with, with physical boundaries, spiritual. That's quite clear from Luke 13, verse 28, which we read together when he speaks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. These people died long ago, and they now live with their Father in heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, God's kingdom is there where God rules in heaven and on earth. But that kingdom on earth was taken over by the devil when sin came into the world. Satan is now the prince of the world. 
Not that God doesn't rule, of course, of course not. He is in control of all things. But as we saw this morning, he does not rule where man does not want him. And so God's kingdom on earth is a kingdom that is established here on earth over time. And it goes from small to great. That is why the Lord Jesus compares his kingdom to a mustard seed. Mustard seed is very small, and it grows from small to great. It's, it produces a very large tree in which the birds of the air can perch in its branches. Look at how small the church was at the time the Lord Jesus was on earth. Oh, sure, there were believers at that time people belonging to God's kingdom, but they were few and far in between. By and large, God's covenant people rejected God's rule. And so did the rest of the world. But then Jesus comes along. And he started off with 12 disciples. Others also became followers of him, but the number of followers fluctuated. There were many followers who later rejected him for various reasons. After the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the number was still small. But then on the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 were added. And from that time forth, in the numbers, they increased. The gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ as the king, as the king of kin, kings, finds receptive hearts all over the world of that day. The word spreads through Judea, Samaria, Damascus, and cities and villages in Asia Minor, that is Turkey, and Greece, and in Europe. Today, there are some two billion Christians on earth. That mustard seed that the Lord Jesus was speaking about grew into a large tree that covers the whole world. It's wonderful to see that kind of growth. But do you think that when Jesus speaks about the growth of his kingdom, that then he speaks about numerical growth? Is it all about numbers? We would be inclined to think so, wouldn't we? After all, doesn't the catechism also interpret it that way? For it says there that the praying about the kingdom of God's kingdom is a praying for the preservation and increase of the church. And it is in the church where you find the citizens of God's kingdom. The churches in and around Edmonton have grown as well in the last few years, continues to grow in numbers. Also, the Emmanuel Church has grown over the years. When I became a member here, we had just over 300 members. Now we are over 700 members, and we need to split. But is it about numbers? No. That's only part of it. All over the world, there are many people who claim to be Christians, who call themselves Christians, but are they necessarily what they claim to be? There are also many people who faithfully go to church. But does that automatically mean that they're part of God's kingdom? 
God's kingdom is only for those who recognize and celebrate God as king in their lives. When he is your king, that means that he rules over you and in you. It means that he rules your heart. It means that you are no longer the one who determines what is good, but that God is the one and that he does that for you. You let God have dominion over you. All of you. Your heart. Your wallet. Everything. And that's something we have to learn. It's a hard lesson to learn. It begins in a very small way. Think about little children. A little child that first only knows how to respond to the needs of the flesh. When a child is hungry or needs to be changed, he or she will cry. The child will instinctively do that, and that's natural. It will demand attention. It wants to be served. But as the child grows up, it has to learn to think not only about his own needs, but also about the needs of others. And the child has to learn especially about what God wants. And so as they get older, they have to learn patience. They have to learn that they do not always get what they want and when they want it. They have to learn that they cannot become angry when it doesn't go their way. In other words, they have to learn how God wants them to conduct themselves. And brothers and sisters, that's a lifelong process. It's a slow process. It's something we have to continue to learn all our lives. I know I do, also at my age. And it doesn't get any easier as you get older. I have to continue to learn to let God rule in my heart because he is king and I'm his subject. And I have to be his obedient subject. You too. Do you know what it takes to be an obedient citizen of God's kingdom? It involves death. It involves sacrifice. You have to put to death your old nature and put on your new nature. The parable about the mustard seed seems like a very simple story, doesn't it? But it is really quite profound. It has a very deep meaning. Think about it. A mustard seed has to die because that seed has to be buried in the ground. For only if you bury the seed can it produce life. That old seed has to die off so that new life can come out of it. I remember a few years ago when we still had a vegetable garden next door that I dug some new potatoes out of the garden. Each plant had at least half a dozen or more beautiful red potatoes. They were fresh, and once you wash them off, they looked beautiful. But when I dug them up, with each plant, there was also one rotten, shriveled-up potato. That was the old potato that was put in the ground in the spring. From that old potato, new life came. But now 
is no longer any good. It's dead. It stinks. It is no longer good for consumption. Well, you see, brothers and sisters, that's also the way it is with the kingdom of God and with him who inaugurated that kingdom. For what happened to the Lord Jesus? He died. He was put into a grave. He was dead and buried. That's the way of the kingdom. The kingdom of God does not come about through earthly powers and magnificence and power. God's kingdom comes in weakness, humanly speaking. It comes about through the mud and the muck. It comes in a very humble, you might even say in a humiliating way. That was already clear from the way that Jesus came to this earth. He was born in a manger, in a place for animals. He was a carpenter's son. He wasn't rich, far from it. And he wasn't a celebrity either. And while he was on earth, he just had some fishermen as his followers. And he ate with the weak of society, with sinners and cripples, and mentally disturbed people. There seemed to be nothing great about him. He started out very small, and yet, how great he became. How did he become so great? By dying to sin and for sin. Because of our sin, he took on our weak humanity. He took on our stinking flesh. And the flesh had to die. Must be put into, the, put into the ground so that new life can come out of it. And Lord Jesus became great by dealing with sin. By taking sin and all the effects of sin totally out of the picture. And that is the only way that anything or anyone can become great. Sin weakens you. It weakens everything. But God's presence gives power. And when you follow him, then you also tap into his power. And that is why he also compares God's kingdom to a lump of yeast. God's kingdom is like yeast in a large amount of flour, says the Lord Jesus. Compared to the flour, the little bit of yeast amounts to nothing. And yet yeast makes large amounts of flour rise to many times its size. That's how powerful God's kingdom is. There is no stopping it. It permeates everything and makes it grow. The Lord Jesus wants us to pray for such growth of his kingdom. God works in us by his word and spirit, the catechism says. There's great power in God's word. It may not seem like that to you. God's word may seem to you like a paper tiger. But with God's word, his spirit takes hold of you and dwells in your heart and empowers you. With God's word and spirit, you can, you can expel Satan from your heart. You can have hope. You can have peace. You can have everlasting life. 
someone asked the question of the Lord Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? In other words, what's with that kingdom of yours? There's only a few of you. Perhaps that's what you think as well. Edmonton is a city of over one million inhabitants. In the scheme of things, we are only a very small number. We have little or no influence. No one takes notice of us. We're just a small number. A few thousand people among one million. What's that? Sometimes people do join, but then later again, sometimes they leave. And that's disappointing, isn't it? Are we ever going to make some headway, some people ask. What are we doing wrong? How come not more people join? And how come some people leave? But now listen to what Jesus says. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not be able to. In other words, don't ask how it is with God's kingdom as such, but take care that you are part of it. And that through your words and actions, you promote his kingdom. Take care, in other words, that you're obedient. Take care that you follow the rules of the kingdom. For if you're not careful, once the door of God's kingdom closes, then you are too late. And Jesus describes in this passage how horrible that is. He says, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it is a place of great pain and sorrow. It's a pain that will never end. Enter through the small door. That's the way of the kingdom. But do you know what he means with that small door? Do you know who that small door is? It's Jesus Christ. He is the door through whom you may enter. Follow him. And if you do that, he will increase his kingdom. But he will do that, and he will do it in his way. It cannot be otherwise. Oh, sure, he always gives you and me a role, but he points us always to that small door. Small. You cannot enter through the door if you're all puffed up with your self-importance or with your own baggage. You can't go through the door if you want to take with you your anger and your grudges that you feel towards others. You can't take with you your wealth either, your bank account, your house, your cottage, your toys, you want to take all those things along, you're not going to fit through that small door. It's impossible. You must be willing to discard all those things. And they may not take the most important thing in your life. God's kingdom must. Satan wants you to think about all those things and make you think that they are important. That's the way of the world. That's all they have. They have this earthly kingdom, their own kingdom, where their boss. He wants you to think that it's important to be somebody in the world. He wants you to think that you are the center 
of the universe. But you know who the real center is, don't you? That's God. And that is why God wants you and me to fight against the devil. He wants us to pray that the works of the devil be destroyed. He wants to enlist you in his army. When you pray every day, let your kingdom come, then you pray, please make sure, Lord, that the devil is not going to be triumphant, that he is not going to be victorious in my life, and that he is not going to be triumphant in the lives of my loved ones and all my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if that's how you pray, brothers and sisters, then God's kingdom will grow. God's kingdom will grow in your heart. God's kingdom, will, God's kingdom will grow in this world. It will become great. And in the end, it will be perfect. That's the last point. Catechism says that we must pray in this way until the fullness of God's, king, God's kingdom comes, wherein he shall be all in all. The original Latin edition of the Heidelberg Catechism speaks about the perfection of God's kingdom. That's what it's about. It's perfection we're looking for, fullness. Next week, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord willing, and then we will eat and drink together. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper foreshadows what it says in verse 29 of Luke 13, namely that people will come from east and west and north and south, and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. Did you know that next week we're going to be having a feast? And do you know why it is such a feast? Not because there is such good food, such delicious food and good drink being offered. And not because of the beautiful background music either. It's a feast because you belong to God's kingdom. You are citizens in heaven. It signifies that God rules and that you recognize his rule. It signifies that you know and acknowledge that he is in control of all things. That he is in control of you and your life. By coming to the Lord's Supper... You acknowledge that God is king and that you want God to rule more and more over your life that he has dominion over you. In your thinking, in your feelings, in everything you say and do, you are controlled by him and by his love in which he allows us to share. How wonderful it is to be a citizen of God's kingdom. It gives you peace and well-being, and above all, it gives you hope and that enormous sense of security. But God's kingdom will be much greater yet in the life hereafter. It will be perfect. It will be lacking nothing. At that time, as it says in Philippians 2 and in many other passages of Scripture, all things will be under the feet of Jesus Christ that means that he will be all in all because then all things will be in his control. Again, not that it is not in his control already, 
course they are. Even Satan is. But right now, Satan is allowed to make his presence felt. He is allowed to roam the earth and to wreak havoc. But the time is coming when he will be banished forever and ever. And everything that belongs to him, everything that has not been purified, will be done away with. It will be perfect. It will be perfect for those who know how to humble themselves before God and expect all things from him alone. Those who realize what wretched creatures they are now, and those who realize that without God they are dead, that without him they sink, that without him they stink. Those who realize that they must put to death their old nature, and that without Jesus they are nothing but a rotten seed in which there is no life. They will be made perfect. And so pray, brothers and sisters, pray. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in our hearts, in this world. Live in accordance with that prayer. And if you do that, then the king of creation will be visible in your life and in your family and in our church. You'll see him in his greatness and in his majesty. The more you believe in him and the more you pray to him, the more visible he will become in your life and in this world. And then all the kingdoms of this world will diminish and come to nothing. But God's kingdom will take on the greatness that it was meant to be. And in the end, when God is all in all, you will taste perfection. How blessed we are to be part of God's kingdom. Amen.